Welcome to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Ben Cardew. Uh, and apologies for being uh, away so long. Uh, we've had festivals to go to, lots of work to do, that kind of thing. Uh, but we're back and we bring with us um, a very special guest, uh, a Catalan producer um, who I think a lot of people here are getting very excited about. I know everyone who I've played his music to has really enjoyed it. Philip, tell us more. Yeah, we're here today with uh, Yoret Salvata. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it more or less correctly. Uh, yeah, yeah, as you do. All right, all right. Um, yeah, he was somebody that both, uh, two of the co-directors of Sonar, both Enrique and Ricard, were, were uh, suggesting that I go check out before, um, before Sonar started, I think, when we had Enrique on the program not too long ago. Uh, Yoret Salvato was one of the ones that he that he was particularly excited about, and I know Ricard in Time Out magazine also singled him out uh, as somebody not to miss. So I went on, I think it was the Friday, the opening of the Sonar Hall, two thirty in the afternoon. Didn't really know what to expect, and it was phenomenal. It was uh, it was a dark ambient. Um, I mean, that's a, a loose word, but it was a dark ambient kind of set with really interesting visuals, kind of ominous and rumbly with a very noisy introduction and then but also quite sort of musical placid undertones a lot of people around me were sort of flat on their backs um he also performed well we'll get into that in a moment and um yeah it was just it was great so so we made contact with him afterwards and and he's here with us today so uh Kim is your is your actual name, correct? It is. Thank well, Kim, thanks for being with us here today. Thank um, you. So, the f- to begin with, we wanted to ask you about the name of your project, Yoret Salvacha, because Salvacha is is savage or wild in wild, Catalan. Yes. And Yoret, I think it has a double meaning. Maybe I mean, there's there's a town on the Catalan coast, Yoret del Mar, which is I think kind of a I think it's sort of a tourist hell, maybe. I'm not entirely uh, exactly. sure. Exactly. You're, you're just about right. It's <laughs> like a Catalan Coney Island kind of thing. Wow, wow. That sounds cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not, but yes. And also, maybe, does it mean parrot or, or parakeet? Yeah, a little parrot in, in, in Catalan. But actually, the name Lloret Salvatge is a place. It's not, it's, uh, I love how it has this double uh, meaning, but it's, it's just a, a tiny, uh, very t- small church in in the country in, in Catalonia near Girona and it's, it has a, a, touch, a very particular legend since uh, when I started the project Loret Salvaje I wanted to make some dance music or I started making music to for people to dance to and the in this particular little little church it's in into the woods it's a really magic place and it's supposed to be that there was once a group of people dancing and this like um, religious parade uh, came through and they they were supposed to stop to show some respect for the for the priest and whatever and they they didn't so it uh, the the earth uh, all of a sudden it just opened up and it um, um, sorry, uh, like swallowed them uh, up. And they, and they uh, it so swallowed them up, so they were doomed to to stay uh, underground and dance forever. So that's the legend, and I lo- also love the the name, how it sounded, and this double meaning. Yeah. So since I started uh, with dance music or trying to make some dance music, I think I thought it it made 
a lot of sense it was nice to to have this to to just to take the name that's such a crazy legend because I mean I, I've never been to Yoret del Mar but I, I see the headlines of like there's you know a lot of like British stag parties yeah. there and you read about like just drunken people in the streets and I, I feel like Steve Aoki um, played, <laughs> played there they have like foam clubs. yeah it's like a little Ibiza kind of yeah in fact it's funny because there's um, Enrique Granados a street here in, in Barcelona and uh -huh. I was just reading an article the other day about how it's kind of gentrifying and there's I mean you know there's a lot of discussion of gentrification in Barcelona and there's yeah, some yeah, yeah. shopkeeper there and he was complaining in El Periodico and he's like Enrique Granados it's just turning into like <laughs> like yeah. oh I'm not sure about that comparison, but anyway, it's such a cool I, I think it's a exaggeration, but it's sad because Lued de Mar is such a beautiful town, or at least I guess it was when it wasn't that uh, tourist touristic, and it has really nice uh, people and nice, uh, the area's pretty nice, the beaches, it's just amazing, and it's sad how it turned to be this, like, like as you said, a little hell in, in on earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's interesting to me to hear that you started with dance music because even though there were some beats in your sonar set, um, certainly your 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 album from last year is not at all dancey. And I mean, there's not. I, I, I wouldn't. The first thing I wouldn't. I wouldn't call you a dance artist first. So no, no, no I mean, absolutely. What kind of tell us about the the genesis of of your project and when did you start? making music as Yoret Salvata? Uh, actually, I started with... Uh, as, uh, I self-edited edited, uh, a cassette, a, t a tape release that I, it was just... I just uh, brought it to my close, very close friends. It was uh, like Christmas songs, Christmas carols that I made up. I had a four-track recorder and uh, I just bought... Uh, I just had bought a, a synthesizer, a Roland, and I just started like playing up with those the two things, and uh, it was it was around Christmas time, so I thought it would be a nice present for my really close friends to to release uh, Christmas uh, Christmas Carol and Christmas Carols uh, cassette. And somehow, since my younger brother is really close friends with a Famalic record uh, group, kind of. They somehow knew about the cassette, and they thought, "Oh, that's cool. Uh, we we would like if you can can play to." They have a there's a, a big music, quite big music festival in Big in September, and they make like a, the off of the festival, a little just uh, really DIY uh, festival. So they told me, "Oh, I, we would love you to play there." Blah blah blah, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, cool." So I started just making up some other songs and and that's how i everything started i'm intrigued what on earth did the christmas songs sound like <laughs> i mean i can't imagine quite crappy i must say <laughs> yeah it was really rough okay and what so um a bit about your history you um am i right in saying you went to new york to study jazz is that right yeah it is i i was a trumpet player for like uh, 15 years and i played i'm more like a classical uh, formation training. So I started playing uh, classical trumpet. I was very bad, actually, but I ended up playing in a copla. Uh, I, uh, for ones of you that you know, it's like a Catalan Sardana uh, d dance, and it's uh, like a folk uh, form formation, It's and it has two trumpets. So I started playing with one of them and touring around Catalonia and all this, like, little parties and Sardana parties. 
and then I always loved jazz and I went to I, I thought it would be a, a great place to learn jazz uh, just to go to New York and I, I made contact with Peter Evans who is a very good uh, avant-garde uh, jazz trumpet player and he was really cool and he just reached me back and, and we agreed to start some lessons and I moved there yeah but eventually I got sidetracked there and I quit trumpet but that's another story and do you think um, that that kind of free jazz element feeds into what you do today? Mm, not today. It it certainly did because what, uh, my first release with Famelic, which is an EP, that it was really uh, starting out the, the project, and I don't esteem it really high. But it had two two tracks that were kind of um, in that uh, they moved through this like jazzy kind of mood, I guess. Okay. And your most recent album, Humanitats, um, apologies for the pronunciation, um, it's got, it, it's full of very short songs, songs of about a minute to, to two mm -hmm. minutes. Um, I've heard them called micro-compositions. Why are they so short? Uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting question, because I always felt I had problems with the structure and structuring things. So I wanted to make... A, music that sounded just about right to me uh, without being uh, too developed. So almost uh, a lot of the tracks in Numitats are just a, a motif that starts and as it starts it ends. So it's, it doesn't develop in, in time. So that that's, was my main idea when I started and that's why uh, it, they are so, so short because I didn't want to get bored about uh, the, the motifs. Do you think that that kind of brevity is somewhat lacking in a lot of music because I mean with a lot of electronic music it's more typical to go long than to go short if you see what I mean do you ever feel that without naming names that sometimes when you're listening to electronic music you think okay this is 10 minutes long you could have done it in three so well I won't I won't say yes because I'm not uh, I'm really a, new, a newbie in electronic music I'm not uh, an expert so I don't I don't have the the, the right to to say anything in that uh, area thing but yes I love brevity and I love short things uh, I love uh, Satie it's one of my favorite musicians and he was a, a master in doing very like short pieces so I like it I have to admit it's a, it's a lack on my part that I don't I don't I just start to make longer pieces so it's it's both uh, motivated and both uh, a lack in in my in my structural problems, let's say. Where, with uh, Humanitats, how exactly did you make the music? Because I, I, I get a feel from it, like it's heavily based in field recordings. I mean, yes, it, it, it seems to have that sort of sound to it, um, manipulated maybe with sort of more musical elements, but what, like, how did you actually make the music? I just, uh, I, I have a handy recorder and I just uh, wanted to make the the sound of my environment. I live in San Andreu, which is a quite uh, outskirt uh, neighborhood here in Barcelona, quite uh, local, like it's not gentrified at all, as it was we, you mentioned earlier. And I just wanted to make the sounds of, of my environment, the, the, the bell clocks and uh, I don't know, the, the sound that was in, in, in when I, when I uh, turned uh, out there to, the, to the windows and stuff. And that's how I, I just recorded it and I just uh, 
listened to it on the, on my computer and I thought, hey, that sounds cool. I could maybe sample this and maybe sample that and then rearrange it or change the pitch or do something. I mean, I'm quite uh, chaotic in that sense, so <clears throat> I don't have uh, a, a, any kind of um, method or really, st really strong uh, structured method of working. So it's just how it worked out and then the, it's... Uh, I don't want to sound so uh, uh, corny, but it's like then the magic came and it's like, hey, I got it, you know? So it's, it's I don't know, I guess it's this. And in, I also had, there's a lot of, in the piece, in the pieces, there's a lot of uh, presence of harmonic, uh, two harmonic uh, devices. That's, uh, I don't know the name in English, but it's a harmonium. It's like this l little organ that they play in, in little churches mm -hmm. that's like yeah, an accord. Harmon harmonium. Harmonium, yeah. okay. And then the the clavichord. Clavichord? It's yeah, yeah. Yeah? yeah. So yeah. these are, uh, I have in, in big in my hometown, I have to access to these two small instruments that they were quite uh, broke uh, apart, were like falling apart almost and they had this magic of like they were really exciting to play uh, with and and I recorded a lot of this those two instruments too and it's a lot of the a lot of the uh, melodic or harmonic uh, in in Umitats came, comes from those two instruments as well where did you get access to these instruments i mean you said that they were in your hometown in vic yeah my my parent loves old uh, stuff and in uh, he has a friend is an antiquary antiquary and he just tells my pa my father hey i have this uh, little piece of crap here if you want to buy and yeah okay of course and it doesn't work even so he has a lot of instruments that they they don't work at all, but it's fun to to play with them and to make some sound out of them. Yeah, exactly. Because you're, I mean, you're recording them into your computer, and you can then manipulate yeah, yeah, yeah. them. And so they don't have to be playable. You just have to get a sound out yeah, of them. Yeah, and it, since my uh, my recorder is really low-fi, it makes sense that it's uh, low-fi recording and uh, falling apart instruments. So it's not really high-fi. Um, you. You mentioned Vic. What what's the town like exactly? You you lived there until you went to New York. No, I w I lived there until my college years. Uh, then I came here in Barcelona with a, uh, at age eighteen, and I spent a lot of uh, like eight years here in, in Barcelona. Then I moved back to Vic because I'm I work as a music teacher in in primary school, so I spent three years there. It's it's very nice town. It's really chill and it has a lot of um, uh, quite a I won't say quite big, but it's an okay music scene, and it's there's a lot of the groups that are like um, quite popular here in in Catalonia among the young people are they a lot of them come come from big. Like what are some some what are some of the groups from big that we might have? Oh, uh, like uh, Furguson, maybe Germa Aira, maybe uh, Nuria Graham. Uh, the, uh, actually, also there's a lot of different stuff. There's this uh, folk. Um, uh, punk, post-punk, and Joana Serrat, who's a very close friend, and Carla Serrat, her sister. There's a lot of... Gem uh, and then there are a lot of more popular, like, kind of uh, festive music, like Charango, or a lot of groups that play in, in festas majors, in, in, in parties here. And, yeah, it's quite diverse and quite 
huge the the music scene there you mentioned that you came up playing trumpet in in um where they dance sardanas and for for people listening who who don't live in catalonia who might not know what sardanas are there it's like a folk dance right it's yeah um and they're accompanied by uh, is it a brass band usually or it's like brass and woodwinds it's yeah it's a mix of brass and wood woodwinds it's 11 um instruments it has the it, in two rows the back row it's almost uh the brass and the double ba bass and then at the front is woodwinds it's there are a couple of really uh i don't know if they're played uh in other countries but they they sound really catalan that oboes, the, right? the it's kind of an oboe the the uh la, 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 no. the, there's the tenora which is the most like um uh, characteristic sound of the sardana and then the of oh, i forgot uh, the name the well, there's another. So I'm sorry <laughs> since I, I played that for four years. I I, I don't get an angry email after this. Yeah, episode. sorry. <laughs> and I have a, a very close friend who plays this instrument actually. So, so when you were playing for Sardanas, what is this in the Festas Majors or where is that where you were mainly performing? It's, it's, yes, but actually there's a uh, there's a very active circ circuit outside of. This. So it doesn't have to be a big party to play Sardanas. So every almost every Sunday, I. I, I I had a, a gig in in uh, any any town in Catalonia, so they're like they're like ten, maybe a hundred of those groups, coplas, and then a lot of small uh, associations associations in in spread out in the in the country. So they they make a lot of a uh, uh, lot of balladas, the sardanas that they we call it here. It's not. I have to say, it's not a very big. Um, uh, circuit so uh, let me put it this right uh, people who dance sardanas it used to be huge it used to be very popular and nowadays it's more like old people it's dying out yeah they do it in my neighborhood not infrequently I live in El Puchet but it's um, uh -huh. it's mostly older people yeah. that do it it's quite boring I have to say <laughs> yeah I don't know how to, dan to dance the, and it's pretty usual that the musicians mock the dancers oh, you know no. so it's <laughs> It's you make fun of them because it's like it's really boring even to play. It's really repetitive music, and you have to play the same like part of the music like four four different times, and it's really boring to play. And even and much more. That's boring why to you like band. short compositions yeah, so much. <laughs> kind of, but actually the sound of the couple it's really cool, and it's it, I think it has a lot of potential, but it's it's dying out. So you, we were talking about this before uh, before we started the show. Beek is a very is a very Catalan uh, town, right? Yes, it is. So I, I mean, I couldn't help but noticing that in your show at Sonar, you had the Estelada, uh, mm -hmm. the Catalan flag um, yeah. hanging. Well, not just the Catalan flag, but the. Uh, well, I'll let you explain the significance of it. But I was I was curious about that because you don't see a lot of um, any kind of sort of political or, or national sentiment there. So what what is yeah. the Estelada Vermeja and what made you decide to, to hang that uh, from your gear? Well, I, 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 won, I don't want to uh, dig into the differences between the Estelada Vermeja and the Estelada Blada because it's a huge like political argument. Being, to put it into words, the Estelada Vermeja is more like far left and the Estelada Blava, it's more like a kind of a centrist. So Estelada Vermel is more kind of a social and national justice. 
and Stalaver Mele is more general, so to speak. So, yeah, the Blava is more like mid, 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 mid-centered, let's say. But the thing to put to put it in my on my table, it was both uh, uh, a bet with my brother, and that he was he's he's uh, away, he's not here, and he was like when he knew he I was about to play solo, and he was, hey, you should put the Stalada, it will be great, people will just get shocked, and and it was actually it worked because, and. Because it's an independence symbol, correct? Yeah. I mean, for a Catalan independence. Yeah, I mean, I'm an independ- I'm pro-independence. I'm not shy to admit that, and everybody who knows me knows that. So, and I, I'm not also a big like flag guy who will go and and parade and march with the flags and that. But also, since my music also speaks of the environment. And if you come to Barcelona, it's just like obvious that you go and see on the balconies a lot of a lot of estaladas. I thought it was it was just about right to put uh, an estalada since it's part of the Barcelona ambient and it's not a big like a big deal or whatever. How about we have a musical interlude? Um, what song should we put from Humanitats and why? Um, maybe one of the um, songs that I'm that I like to listen more to it's um, Antorn. It's a very quiet one that it's just uh, it breathes really really good for me, and I think it's one of the of the the ones that came out the best for me. Let's listen. Estelada, uh, I mean, the main reason I asked about that is I noticed it when I was watching your show, but there was also something in one of the local newspapers, El Periodico, afterwards. What what did they say about you hanging the, the flag? Yeah, actually, the, the, the headline was Lloret Salvatge, uh, an Estelada at Sonars. So it was more about the Estelada, the flag, than even the music. And I'm afraid some people may think that I, in a way, I maybe put the Estelada to take advantage of that but and as I, as I told you, I'm not uh, I'm not shy to make my political uh, mm, uh, political uh, orientations uh, explicit. So I I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't have more much of a meaning. But I was I was kind of a little annoyed that this turned out to be the main like headline of my show, of my of my set. I was going to ask actually because your name is in Catalan. Um, you come from Vic, which um, is uh, generally thought to be one of the most Catalan places <laughs> in Catalonia. Um, how how Catalan is is your music? I mean, how do you feel that that comes through in in what you're doing? Well, that's a very good question, uh, and I, I like I like my music to be rooted in my tradition. And I I told you earlier that I went to New York to study jazz and. I when I was there, I jazz. I I love jazz, and I always will. It's it's that uh, no question about that. But I realized it wasn't my language. My when you go there and you see, 
African American people they just were they were born singing the blues and they were raised with that and I'm I am not I'm from I'm from Vic and that's my tradition I like my folk songs and I'm not even from Berlin or from Chicago or Detroit to make techno so I feel I I try to be, uh, root my music with with my own tradition and make although I am very Catalan and uh, I I don't want to to uh, make local musics if if that if I can say yeah so I guess that's um uh, that's a big a big deal a big issue for me to be part of my own tradition but also to speak to wider audiences. I was going to ask about your um, sonar performance. I'm I'm sorry I missed it because uh, my son was sick. <laughs> um, but Philip said that people were were lying down. Um, how do you feel about that? Have people lying down when you play? <laughs> Would you rather they were up and dancing? Would you? Are you kind of happy with them lying down? How do you feel? Yeah, it's always this question with uh, laptop uh, music that it's kind of uh, hard to perform uh, in the, in the sen- sensitive. Uh, way so i don't i feel awkward i have to say that people i i like people to move to dance obviously my music is not uh danceable at, at all but i try to make in the future i love i like to go back and start making a little maybe some put some uh, rhythm there and maybe make people move my friends uh, actually my friends they they told me that all the time you should make dance music it will be fun it will be funnier but it's like Okay, I, I don't know. I'm not, as I said, I'm not a, a techno uh, head, so it's hard for me to to start make something that I will feel ridiculous at the end of the day. We'll see. I hope, but have you tried making more danceable music, like ha- ha- adding a heavy bass drum? Yeah, I tried, and I played in a couple of small gigs that I had, but it, it, I didn't, I quite didn't like it. I love, I love techno, and I, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, Laurel Hallow, actress, and all this like, un- maybe unorthodox techno, also classic, of course. But and I love their work; it's really uh, challenging. But I, lo- I, lo- I love to do some of this uh, like music like this. But it's it's hard for me. I don't have the no. I don't know if the tools or the mindset. I don't know. I I would love to, and I've tried, but it didn't came out as I as I wanted. Okay. Generally, I wanted to ask: Who do you feel a connection with musically? Who who do you listen to? Well, nowadays I feel a strong, very strong connection with uh, Robert Gerard, which is a Catalan composer that quite actually, uh, it quite summarizes what I what I I want my music to be. He was he was a disciple of uh, Schoenberg, and he was friends with Alban Berg and Webern and. He mo- he had to flee from the civil war and he lived in Cambridge for uh, the the rest of his life and he did he was a mo- like a avant-garde uh, kind of a composer he started at the BBC radiophonic workshop he started uh, experimenting at the at the first, at the beginning and he was he's a his music is amazing and I feel a strong connection with 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 him since he was he was a very like it, this I hate this, to say this word, but he was p- proud uh, Catalan, and he based his music. He wrote his music in Catalan uh, melodies and stuff. But he also made a huge uh, contribution to uh, 20th century classical music. He was experimenting with tape and orchestra at the same time as Berès did. 
So he he's quite he's sadly very unknown even here in Catalonia, but he's very very good uh, composer, and I love his music, and I've come to listen to a lot of his music uh, recently. I've got to ask, what should we listen to from him? What would you recommend? The 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 last period, he had uh, small orchestra pieces like Libra, Gemini, and Leo. They are the three of them are are really good. But one of the pieces that really uh, shocked me was uh, Sub Rosa, the, the the record label that they they have this early early electronic music series. They released uh, the early electronic pieces of him. I I don't remember the the titles, but it's a really mind blowing album. And when are we talking about? When was he doing this? Mm-mm, let's. I think the late fifties, early sixties, maybe. Wow. Yeah, he was a pioneer at the time. Yeah, he was really really cool, and he he got the opportunity to work at the BBC workshop, and he did a. Like, yeah, an awesome job. And did he come back to Catalonia later? No, never. He's actually he's buried in Cambridge. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah one of the main strong influences and also like uh, well I've been listening to a lot of Holly Herndon recently. She's I think she's also great in in not only the music but all the 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 the, the discourse the not the yeah dis- yeah so the the, the all the ma- mindset that she, she puts in his in her music. And what what are you working on now? I mean, Humanitats was uh, released earlier this year, right? Yeah. Um, and you played Sonar. What, what what are you working on now? I'm working on some new pieces that I played some at the Sonar set. It's uh, it's a. I try to change. I try to shift towards more like longer pieces and more kind of developed. Although I, I have to say that I have these structural problems, but uh, yeah, I I started in my in my uh, research for my here in, in my roots and the music that was uh, played here in Catalonia. I started looking. For, I love medieval music also, and here in Catalonia was a, one of the European centers of medieval music. And I found this book. Uh, it's on. It's re- kind of weird, and I don't wanna. I don't wanna like uh, uh, spoil it and bore your listeners. So it's about, about megalithic culture. That it's a, a guy from Germany who was a musicologist came here and started studying a lot of. Uh, like uh, Greek culture, Indian culture, uh, music, uh, Egyptian music, and he kind of made up this huge theory of um, megalithic uh, culture. That, me- um, to put it simply, megalithic culture seems to uh, have influenced all these major, like high cultures from the from the ancient times. And he kind of tried to uh, make up, make up, make up a. This theory about and musical, musically and uh, philosophically, and like uh, all the megalithic uh, monuments in like uh, Stonehenge, Abeburi, right. or s- uh, here in, in Catalonia, also we have a lot of megalithic uh, monuments, and it's really cool and it's r- kind of kind of um, heavy in in the, uh, complicated in complex. I, I don't want to like sound too. Um, uh, <laughs> to uh, mystifying, but I like to 
it's it's going this way. It's kind of based on on these theories. So typically, when you're making music, you you like to have an idea first. You're not sort of all right. I'll go off into the studio yeah. and make something. You, you like to actually have an idea in your mind for yeah, at least a, a, a rough idea because the the computer it's, it's such a great uh, instrument, but it it also it's for me it's, sometimes it's overwhelming the how how lost you can get with I, I just jam and that there are tons of like half hours of of sounds and music in in my computer. So if I don't have some some kind of uh, restriction or limitation it i get absolutely lost and i end up the day uh, doing nothing that reminds me the your your discussion of that the the book and the the megalithic cultures reminds me a little bit of craig leon i don't know if you know his work he's an american composer and in the late 70s or early 80s he had a record hmm. called nomos that got reissued recently on revenge and it was it was a, it was based on a book um that again sort of theory like yeah, I, I don't yeah. think i don't think very grounded in actual science you know <laughs> but that that there was an african tribe that it was believed that this author believed that they had been contacted by space aliens and yeah. they cuz i think they had myths that had to do with you know gods and whatever and that this researcher believed that they'd been contacted by extraterrestrials and so anyway the Craig Leon's piece is this sort of like a, an attempt to take like African tribal music and, and like transpose it onto a sci-fi framework. And, and so it's like all very percussive, um, like drum, drum synths and future. It's, it's, it's really cool. I mean, it's super interesting and it's, again, it's the sort of yeah scientific history, you know, or possible. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm quite, um, Weary, weary of, yeah, of wary, this kind yeah. of way of this kind of uh, esoteric uh, theories, so I don't, I don't want to sound uh, no, like no, this no, at no. all. But but, but they make yeah. a great like uh, they're a good inspiration at the yeah, very yeah, least. Yeah, of, of course, yeah. And I, I've heard about the uh, Craig Leon, and I I, uh, I remember listening to one of the tracks on on that CD, but I, I haven't I haven't listened to it deeply. I also love uh, Coil from the from England, and I think they have some sort of this. Esoteric, ancient, culturistic kind of thing. So I love their music and I love how they kind of approach. I have to dig more on 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 again on on the their, their albums, but it, I love how they kind of mixed all these things, but they don't make a big deal out of the theories. I, I don't. I actually read your review on uh, no your your review went on Alexi Perala or ah. and he was. I, I think he had some of uh, some like esoteric or yes. something like that, and I thought that sounds cool, but maybe it's a little too far from my from me for for my test my take. I, one of the things I, I loved about that, and I'm glad you read it, was um, it, it's an album that um, you can know absolutely nothing about and still really enjoy, or yeah. you can absolutely fall down the wormhole, as I did. I spent, I mean, as soon as I've heard I've heard what he was doing, I started researching and reading uh -huh. and reading. I spent hours reading into it, you know. Um, but equally, you know, if you can just put it on, it's like, wow, that's a, you know, that's a great, um, that's a great album. There's some great pieces of music. Yeah, and that's what I, I, I liked, or I think my music has to do. The music, at the end of the day, music has to stand for itself. And regardless of what uh theory you have in your mind before 
making the music. So we we asked earlier if we could uh, possibly play a short sample of some of your new music. Um, yeah, sure. What what can we listen to? Uh, I will I will play a piece that's um, it's a long piece. It's like six minutes long, so it's quite long, and it's uh, again with this megalithic kind of thing. It's uh, uh, I wanted to to make a lame, a f- more, uh, funeral lament since it's it's kind of a circle of life kind of thing of all the whole the whole album that I'm thinking about. I don't want to make a concept album at all, but it's kind of this, this, this limitations that I told you before that help me structure or whatever. And this is uh, the 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 death of it. It it, it tries to um, to transmit a death lament kind of thing. So I guess I guess it will be nice to play that. Does it have a name? Yeah, it has a uh, like. I have to. I have to. Working I have to warn it. warn you that it, it's a work in progress. So it's not properly edited or uh, mastered at all. But yeah, and the title is uh, Sisyphe, uh, which is the uh, he, uh, Greek um, uh, hero that he was doomed to have. He had to uh, forever and ever uh, bring a stone to the Sisyphus. Yeah, sorry. He has to well, you know about this yeah, the repetition, the, the rolling stone, and and that. So it's it's kind of this uh, rolling uh, lament, and I don't know. I tried to to compose something that had this idea, but who knows if I succeed or or not or whatever. Well, we'll listen to that now. This is Sisyphus. So that was uh, Sisyphus, world premiere <laughs> um, by Yoret Salvatza. Uh, we've been here with Kim Font from uh, from San Andreu, bar- next to Barcelona. Uh, Kim, thanks so much for being with us today. This has been really, really interesting talking to you, and uh, we're super excited to to check out what you have next. We'll put up a link um, on our social pages for Humanitats so everybody out there can check out your album from last year, which is which is really interesting and awesome and engrossing. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I'm I'm very happy. It's been great. Thank you. So uh, one of the big stories this week has been um, the release of uh, well the forthcoming release of a new EP from Aphex Twin. Um, and it's a, even by his own standards, I think it's a particularly strange one, particularly the concept. Um, you've been reviewing it, right? Uh, yeah, I have been reviewing it. It'll be up, um, I, I guess, this week on Pitchfork. Um, ben, what, I'm actually curious, before we dive into the, the concept of it, why do you think it's a, a strange one by his standards? Well, largely because of the concept, um, because... Um, what it seems a bit at the moment is that Aphex Twin obviously had this long time we didn't release anything and I kind of got the impression he was sort of assessing why you know what's the point of releasing anything these days and I think he's almost got to the point and uh, maybe it's a bit foolish to second guess him but it sounds like he's almost got to the point where 
he releases specific things when he has a very specific idea of something he's been doing. So there was the Acoustic Instruments EP, which was based around a concept. And now there's this, which... And there uh, was Orphan DJ Select as well, which was um, not a reissue, but it was like archival tracks, right? 2006 to 2008. There was sort of banging rave tracks from his archives. Exactly. And now this, the Cheetah EP, which if, uh, if we believe what uh what has been written what he said was uh all composed or partly composed on a uh, a piece of hardware that is notoriously difficult to program the cheetah ms 800 um and um i i just think that's a very interesting concept i can just imagine apex twin thinking right you know what i'm gonna no one no one knows how to use this thing i'm gonna make an actual ep on it and yeah it's it's interesting i mean i'm i think it's unclear to what extent um this is an EP about this particular piece of gear. I mean, obviously, so, so the record is titled Cheetah, which is the name of a British electronics manufacturer from the late 80s, early 90s. Um, two, four of the tracks on the record are titled Cheetah and then kind of a, an unpronounceable string of numbers and glyphs afterwards. Um, and then two other tracks are titled after the Circlon, which is the Sequentix Circlon, which is a hardware sequencer. Um, that he also referred to on the Cyro album. Um, since at least Cyro, he's been titling a lot of his tracks, if not all of them, um, to reference specific machines or, or pieces of, of gear. Um, now, the Circlon being a, a sequencer, it's unclear what other gear he actually used to make those tracks. So maybe it's a Circlon running the Cheetah MS-800, well, that, one of the things he did to launch this EP was he had um, or Warp Records had a stall at the uh, the Nam Trade Fair, which is basically uh, where people go to show off their new instruments, right? I think. Yeah, it's a. I I I can't remember what Nam is short for. The National Association of Music Merchandisers, or something like that. Um, massive musical instrument trade fair. If I'm not mistaken, I think there are two of them and one is in Los Angeles and it's more kind of electronic and one is in Nashville and it's more um, sort of traditional instruments and and the one that that Warp unveiled the new Aphex Twin EP at was in Nashville which is kind of unusual you know it's not like Aphex does a lot in Nashville and there's a very interesting video of um, someone who's on the booth explaining um, you know what they're doing there and she says they have the actual cheetah synth that he apparently used and she says something in the video like this is the machine that Richard used to program this EP so that made me think that I guess you know most of it a lot of it okay all I of hadn't it seen has... that video so that yeah that would be it's a great well because yeah. I had that question in mind as well it's like is it a tribute did he actually do it on this you know and I watched that it appears to be that he actually made it on this on, on this cheetah ms 800 I've read up a little bit on this machine and um and so it comes from, I think, the early 90s. I think the company originally just did sort of computer peripherals. They weren't even really a synthesizer company. And then they came out with a synthesizer. And I think they were very much targeted at, like, the budget consumer market. Um, and then this MS-800 came in the early 90s. And the quote that I read was something like, one of the most unfathomable interfaces that, it had ever ha uh, that any instrument ever had. It was the piece I read was by a guy who used to design preset sounds for synthesizer companies, 
and he'd gotten a contract to design presets for the MS-800, and so they sent him a unit, and he said it took him five hours to even get it to make a sound. Yeah. It, it was, you know, it's sitting, because it's, it's not a, it's, if you've seen the photographs of it, it's not a synthesizer with a keyboard. It's just a box. It's just, you know, it could be a router. It could be, you know, a switching, I don't even know the, the, the lingo, but it could be something like in a an internet services, you know, uh, brochure. And he said, I, th- I think we've read the same thing, he said that basically he had to write a flow diagram of, of the, <laughs> the instructions booklet so he could understand it. And sort of eight hours later, he finally got it to make a sound. Yeah, which yeah, is, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty difficult to use. But so the, the crux of this machine is it uses wavetable technology so that it, you hold down a key, a MIDI key, and instead of just playing a note with one waveform, it cycles through various waveforms so that it's it's kind of always morphing and shifting and evolving in time, um, which is – I don't have the quote on me, but there was, a, there was something from the introduction to the user manual that then Warp kind of uh, re-sampled for the, the press release for the Cheetah EP that was about these sort of mutable qualities of the synthesizer itself. So this is kind of what makes the EP, I think, a very hard one to judge because – um, if you, if I had tried to use this Cheetah MS800 and I had been un- unable to produce any sound from it, then I would be, I'm sure, I'd be incredibly impressed with the fact that he's managed to do this. Or, but I haven't, and so have very, very few people. So it, it sort of answers a very interesting question of how you know how we, how can we judge this EP? Because um, I've heard I've heard three tracks off it. Um, and the lead track, um, the one there's the video for, um, the uh, Circlon 3, I really liked. Um, and the other two that I've heard, um, which are uh, 2X202-ST5. Uh, which is, I think, the bonus track, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and the opening track, Cheetah 2, uh, square brackets, LD Spectrum. Um, I Those two, I wasn't too impressed by i wasn't too blown away by this is interesting i think we're gonna fall on let's let's set aside the bonus track because that that did the least for me the the track that's on the video is actually maybe not my favorite track on the i think it's fine i think it's a good afexy tune but it's the it's the um the cheetah i think it's cheetah 7 ld2 whatever the the opening track is the one that i really really like and i well, before I get into why I, I like it, um, I wanted to ask you, Ben, where would you, like, what would you compare this to in Aphex Twin's catalog? Did, does it, because Syro, we could say, is kind of, was like, um, I called it in my Pitchfork review, like one of his big tent albums, comparable to the Richard D. James LP, or I Care Because You Do. It's like him busting out all the stops, all his tricks and techniques and talents all in one package. This to me is one of his like more kind of marginal records. It reminds me a little bit of the Analord series he okay. did, um, which uh, was uh, during that period where he allegedly wasn't releasing music, but sort of was releasing Analord twelve inches. In that it's quite electro. Um, it's not particularly groundbreaking, um, but um, melodically it's very strong. As in, as in most of his music. I mean, I, 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 sorry, I don't want to sound like I'm to Dan because I really, really like 
um, the circle on track. Um, but it's not... It, it, I don't think it's going to blow your mind, or it didn't blow my mind anyway. So I'd put in that kind of analog, you know, very good, very listenable, but relatively minor by his own standards. What I find most striking about, especially the first two tracks, the first two Cheetah tracks, and there are two other tracks with Cheetah in the title, and they're about, one of them's, I think, 27 seconds, and the other is 37 seconds, and they have no beats, and they're really just like, I'm going to show you the weird timbres that this instrument is capable of. And they're just kind of mercurial, sort of ambient, uh, yeah, sketches. Um, But the first two Cheetah tracks including the one you mentioned, what I like about them and what I find so unusual is they're very slow. They're about 100 beats per minute, which is unusual for Aphex. Um, and they're also really four-to-the-floor beats. It's one of the few times that I've ever heard him doing a straight-up done, 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 done. Uh, and I really... I like where that takes you. I like what he's able to do with that because I think you don't think of Aphex Twin... You think of Aphex Twin doing these really insane, virtuosic, um, hyperkinetic rhythmic fills and things like that. And in these cases, he's taken a very straight beat and he's let that be the frame for these really weird um, textural sort of sounds that he's working with. I think with the first track in particular, what it reminded me of in some ways was The Cure's 17 Seconds. Wow. Because, yeah, because he has this weird, heavy phaser effect on everything, and it's this kind of bass melody, and it's kind of greasy and kind of minor key, and it's not its not anything I would have expected him to do ever. I mean, I never thought I'd be talking about The Cure and Aphex Twin in the same sentence. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's some, somehow I, I get the sense that he using that simplified beat allowed him to to explore different textures than he would have normally. Well, this is one reason why um, it feels like it could have been made. I, I think the EP could have been made on this bit of hardware because the beats are pretty simple. Um, you know, a lot of his work, a lot of his best-known work has some very, very strange, weird, incredibly cut-up, backwards, uh, weirdly melodic beats. And this EP doesn't really. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons I'm not so keen, because I really like it when he is doing very strange things. Well, the, the beats beat. on the on the second Cheetah track, I think, actually get quite interesting, because even though it's it's still at 100 BPM, and it's still essentially a, a four-to-the-floor, like, boom, 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 boom kind of beat, then he starts branching into these weird 32nd note, 48th note fills that get very... It's like he's using the slow tempo and then speeding up everything that happens inside that frame. And so he, he hasn't completely given up on, on his... Um, just on, on all his tricks. So where do you think it fits? I mean, do you think it's one of his better modern works? Do you, where, where I mean, do you I really, put it? I have to say I like it... I like it a lot. It's hard to say, it's hard to compare it, you know, in a, in a qualitative term. Um, I will probably return to it more than I'll return to selected, uh, the, the orphaned, uh, orphan DJ select, um, more than the computer controlled acoustic instruments part two, even though I really like a lot of that material, it's kind of atonal and, and difficult. Um, I compare it a little bit to some of the uh, GAC stuff he did w- years ago, and I always really liked the GAC. I, I still DJ out some of the GAC tracks. Um, <laughs> GAC tracks. 
I don't know, just because those were also more or less straight up techno as opposed to his like kind of drill and bass inclinations. So the Circlon track then is is quite different in in tone. I mean, it's it's much more electro. Um, it kind of brings me back to to the sort of b boying uh, aspects of the Reflex catalog. Um, and and you prefer the the Circlon track then? I really like. I, I think the the melody is beautiful, and I think actually the video adds a lot to it. Um, the video is made by this is it eleven year old Irish? Boy? I think it's twelve now. Twelve year old Irish boy. Um, with a lot of sort of kids running around in Aphex masks and kind of a lot of um, pastel colours. And I think the, whole, the the combination works really well. Um, I, I just think the melody really shines through. And it kind of... A lot of Aphex Twin songs, even if they're um, not particularly um, innovative, that they get through on the melody because he's got a real way with the melody. Well, and something that really shines in the Circlon track is his use of detuning. Um, I mean, he this this kind of ties back to something we talked about a few weeks back with um, Alexi Perella uh, and using frequencies that are not your standard, you know, 444 hertz per, I don't know what the, yeah. the frequency is, but he everything he does is detuned in a way that's, you know, it's just kind of like, there are strange harmonics and, and, you know, it's kind of shimmers in your ear. And I find the Circlon really works well in that sense. Like there are no perfect fifths. It's, it's not justified temp, uh, temperament at all. Shall we listen to a bit of it? Yeah, let's listen to a bit. Circlon and then a bunch of numbers that, uh, that I'm not going to remember. Ben, you mentioned the the video for that tune. Um, I actually spoke with the director last week, um, and yeah, he's a twelve year old boy living outside of Dublin, uh, and he's made over a hundred Aphex Twin fan videos. Wow! What was it like? What was it like to speak to him? It was interesting. He was really shy. Um, I we didn't go super in depth into uh, his life and his work. He was very shy. But I got a lot more out of uh, watching his videos. Um, he's He's been, for about three years now, so since he was nine years old, he's been making these fan videos of Aphex Twin. And some of them are much like the Circlon video, which is kind of his family and friends kind of dancing around in front of his home outside Dublin in the street. Um, he records everything on... I don't remember the name of the app. It's like Ustar or Webstar or something right. like that. And it's like a video. It's just a video app that like you, he, he records everything on his iPad using his iPad mm-hmm. camera. And then he uploads it to YouTube. He does some kind of basic special effects stuff. Some like solarization, some, you know, like high contrast, some, you know, some, some whatever they have in, in this app basically. Um, a lot of it is just like looks like him and his like siblings kind of horsing around um playing um playing in the living room and then set to set to Aphex Twin music but some of it is quite 
surreal. Like one of his videos is is a track from Selected Ambient Works Volume Two, and the video is just his him and his parents like eating in a restaurant, and there's no sound from the actual you know from the restaurant or right. anything like that, even though you see them talking and stuff and. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't work at all, but something about it is really compelling. It's this weird kind of humdrum pub, you know, and yeah. they're, yeah, he's just like holding up the iPad and filming his parents while they like chat and, and drink, you know, Coke or whatever. And, but, but then it's set to this like slow, melancholic ambient music and it's, it's, it's like the moodiest thing <laughs> you've ever seen. Did he explain how he got into FX Twin at nine years old? He said he discovered him on YouTube. Huh? Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So he's also done some clips of, um, he's done some fan videos for Square Pusher. Right. And uh, I forget who else, something else from the from the um, Reflex sort of canon. And his Square Pusher videos, I, I get the sense that his technique is improving over time. He's starting to do more sort of quick cuts and fast edits and and kind of working a little bit more to make the, the videos kind of jibe with the music but um yeah he's in he's a really interesting kid and what to me is the most interesting thing is not how he discovered Aphex Twin but how Aphex Twin discovered him and to be honest I, I don't know how that happened I imagine Aphex is just kind of I guess he googles himself you know or somebody passed it on to him I mean or somebody passed it on to him. does he have thousands of views or um, hundreds a few or? Of, at this point some of his videos have maybe up to 4,000 views. Most of them are in the dozens or the hundreds. But he does have comments um, from a year ago, so this would all be like well before any of the recent stuff, of, of people that like discovered him probably just searching for Aphex Twin videos, and they're all like, man, you're, you're cool. Keep it up, kid. You know, like, yeah. keep, keep doing what you're doing. And so somehow Aphex Twin found this kid who's making, you know, very strange... Or in some ways, very humdrum and mundane, but in in their mundanity, they become quite strange uh, fan videos of Aphex Twin. So it's kind of a, a marriage made in heaven. Are we going to be reading this uh, interview? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> okay. One of the interesting things about Aphex Twin um, is uh, after years of not releasing anything, there was this uh, release of... 250-ish songs on SoundCloud. And I was just thinking the other day that um, I am still nowhere near on top of that. I managed to download, I think, most of them while they were downloadable. And I've got a folder on my computer that's uh, Aphex Twin. I've even got a folder that's best of the SoundCloud. But um, I still don't feel I'm I'm on top of that. And and it's slightly weird because I get really excited about a new... uh, seven track ep from apex twin and then it's like well you've got 200 songs that you haven't listened to that much and that are great you know i think it was 276 of them and yeah it's just overwhelming i i listened to a handful of them and then i mean life intervened and it was like oh well i have to review something else and i have to listen to these promos and and i spent very little time um with the the soundcloud dump as it's being called as it turns out, two of the songs on the Cheetah EP were actually in the SoundCloud dump. Were um, they? Yeah, and I think they were both called Cheetah. Um, there is, you can find, and maybe we can post the link on our socials, but um, 
some people put together a Google Doc. Oh, that's amazing. Annotated the. Did, did you write about this? In I your did. Media yes. Piece? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they annotated right the entire uh, dump, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, the cheetahs are both in there. Um, one of them became Circlon, the main Circlon track, and then one of them is Cheetah Seven. Uh, I, I think it's the first track on the EP. And um, I went back to them because I, I had them and and re-listened to them. And what's striking is how how much he improved them for the new EP. Right? They're like they're they're super muddy and kind of flat and not dynamic in the SoundCloud versions and. Like whoever the mastering engineer was, or whether he did it himself, I mean, they like they leap from the speakers in the new version. So um, I thought that was interesting just to see they're exactly the same recording, yeah, you know, but they've just been polished up in a huge way, and and that's interesting to see. I mean, I found it very interesting that um, there was a recent uh, EP or LP, I think, from um, Nina Kravitz, is it? Yeah, and she had uh, an AFX track off it that was from the the SoundCloud. I remember uh, that was on the SoundCloud as well. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the standout tracks from the SoundCloud. How I did she get that track? Do you know? I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, maybe. I mean, that was one of the, the big questions in my mind. What's going to happen to the SoundCloud tracks? Because you you, I don't think they're up there anymore. No, they're gone. There there are like four tracks on his SoundCloud right now, but they're totally different. Um, because I had a friend of mine, I remember I was getting very enthused about the SoundCloud, and he just said, look, I don't have time. Just give me an album. Give me the best of it. 12 tracks, mastered, that, that's what I want. You know, is that ever going to happen? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like, it seems that maybe he'll keep cherry-picking these things. I mean, I'm really happy. It's nice that the two, it's, it's funny because I, I was reading through some forums, and it turns out that those Cheetah tracks were favorites of a lot of people. Right. And so those people are very happy now because they've got, much better versions to listen to in a higher quality. So, yeah, I mean, maybe he'll just keep cherry-picking the best of, of that and giving us kind of EPs themed around those. Here's hoping. So, Ben, I guess it's time for us to talk uh, recommendations for the week. Indeed it is. Um, and my first recommendation is something actually you, I think you first mentioned to me. It's um, a new hieroglyphic being. Um, and... Uh, it's from an album called The Discos of Imhotep. Um, and in fact, the track uh, I've been listening to is the title track. Um, and you you first mentioned it to me because I, I was a big fan of the Alexi Perella uh, Kalundi sequence album. And um, you mentioned it as being kind of vaguely uh, similar, had a kind of similar idea to it. Um in that it's talking about uh, frequencies and vibrations that that can help uh, allegedly help heal them heal the mind and the body and enrich the soul and using harmonies um, for this kind of thing. Um, and um, I quite like that. I quite like a concept um, behind things sometimes. And um, this track, I mean, hieroglyphic being can be pretty obscure, pretty rambling. But this this track, this title track, is sort of four and a half minutes of pretty straight up electro-y techno and it's brilliant it's really got these incredible melodies um it's quite murky in a way but at the same time reasonably straightforward you know like just very strong melodies that keep repeating even though there's layers of murk and things shifting around um but i think it's a fantastic track do you get much of the the healing vibe from it i mean can you 
when you're listening to it, can you identify that these frequencies are different in some way? It doesn't particularly feel like that. I mean, it it's it sounds pretty peaceful, with beautiful melodies, but it's not maybe like the Alexi Perella, which there sounds something very, very different about them. Um, I mean, it sounds a little bit like um, a very good Detroit techno track, which essentially is what it is, you know. Also healing music when you get right down to it. Exactly, exactly. Let's listen to a, a little bit of uh, the discos of Imhotep. <laughs> And what's your selection? Um, mine is is maybe a lot more prosaic, but um, Robin, you know the, the Swedish singer who yeah. we all know and love, she's got a new series of remixes out, and Axel Bowman did a remix of "Hang with Me" that I just adore. Um, I've always loved the song "Hang with Me," um, and the Axel Bowman remix is is actually really different. It's quite strange. Um, he's changed the song considerably. He's taken away all of the sort of high energy touches. He's made it um, kind of skeletal and a little bit like he's changed the harmonic structure in a way that like he's taken away a lot of the harmonies. And so the, the intro of it, it's it's just kind of like a skeletal. I think it's a 707 drum machine and kind of minor key melody and this weird buzz in the background. Um, and it's. Yeah, it's just odd, you know, but it's it's also it's the kind of thing if you hear it on a dance floor, you're going to know it's Robin. You're going to know it's Hang With Me. Um, and it kind of builds and it builds and it builds. And then finally, like the the clouds break and you finally get the, the whole the full melody and her verse, um, which is a very kind of romantic. I mean, she's basically in the lyrics, she's saying to somebody like, don't fall in love with me. Um, you know, we can just be friends we can hang i'll be honest with you you be honest with me but underneath all of that there's like this deeply romantic kind of feeling i mean it's a sort of ironic um yeah sure i'm not going to fall in love with you but but you know it's cool but you really know you're falling in love um and so then in the the, the last maybe two minutes of the song he sort of like gives way to this beautiful romantic sentiment but then he never actually he never gives you the chorus, which is the, the, the most important part of the song. He just like fades out and then it's over. And so I think it would be, it, it, it really, you feel like you're left hanging a little bit. Um, I think this is a brilliant tease of a remix. I think he does this really well because I, I was listening to it and um, I, I knew I knew the song, but I couldn't quite work out which song it was. I thought I'd just listen to the remix first, you know, without listening to the the original. And for ages, I was thinking, it's, is it that? Is it that? And then I, I think like about five minutes in, something comes in and you're like, oh, it's that song. Oh, I really like that song. And I think he, that's a very clever trick to do when you're remixing, just giving enough. So you realize you do know it. And then finally just turning on, uh, turning the switch a little bit. And it's like, right, oh, it's that. And I think particularly that's actually really strong when you're dancing to something, you know, because mm -hmm. you're dancing to it. And then suddenly that, that, that light bulb moment, you know, it goes up and like, oh. 
I mean, it's kind of the theory of a mashup, right? It's like, oh, I know this, I know, you know, and it's like yeah. teasing it or whatever. And so he's sort of, yeah, he's teasing you. And then, and then again, before he gives you the whole thing, he's like, yep, I'm gone, I'm out. So, yeah. And I, one thing I really like about Robin is she strikes me as, as being very much the modern pop star. She just does what she wants. You know, she had a massive hit in 1997, was it? Um, and since then, she's kind of just done her own thing. You know, she set up her own record label. And I believe she's been touring this remix album by playing only the remixes. And some people have been getting a little bit annoyed, you know, because I'll oh, come on and play the hits. And she's just, just, no, I'm going to Well, she did sing the song, Don't Effing Tell Me What To Do. Exactly. Um, and I like that. You know, why Why not? Why not do it that way? Um, have you heard many of the other remixes? Uh, I heard the Black Madonna remix, which I liked a ton. Um, I just listened to it once today. It sounded really awesome. Um, I, I don't have a ton of, like, detailed things to say about it. But, yeah, I liked it a bunch. I haven't heard the rest, though. Right. But no, this is a great remix. Yeah, yeah. We, we love Robin. <laughs> More Robin, the better. What else do you have for us this week? Well, I've been listening to um, The Orb in a sort of almost 90s throwback kind of way. Um, the, the the funny thing is, I I mean, I think many people, many British people of my age, um, you know, 22, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> have a real love for The Orb because um, when we were sort of growing up in, in the 90s, um, and becoming teenagers, the Orb were a really big group. Um, like UF Orb was a really big album. I think it went to number one. And so the Orb was among the first introductions to electronic music. So the Orb were like a massive. I, I remember. I think. Um, I think it was Joe Muggs who once said to me, "The Orb were like our oh, Sex Pistols." You know, they were really, really big and really important group. Um, and you don't hear as much from them these days, but their um the album they did last year was really good, and this new one um alpine on on compact is actually a really good album as well um and they have commissioned some remixes from prince thomas um of the lead track alpine um and it's great it's sort of a uh strolling eleven minute disco remix that kind of brings the more recognizable pop bits of of the song to the surface but it never goes too obvious um and it has loads and loads of hooks um and he he's done some sort of there's a sort of short version for DJs but there's no reason you wouldn't play the 11 minute version because it's just absolutely great it's kind of 11 minutes long and nothing is wasted and again it's a really good remix because it's recognizably based on um the original song but it takes elements of that and um, gives them as much dance floor energy as, as you can. It kind of takes it in, in, as much as it can into one possible direction without actually abandoning the original song. Because I don't really think of the or especially these days, as a dance floor act, right? I mean, you think of them as, as kind of chill out, as, as ambient. Um, you know, even with Feldman in the orb now, I mean, there's still, you know, there's, there's always a sort of a horizontal aspect 
to them. So so if Prince Thomas can take that and inject that oomph. Have you seen them live? Not in a long time. Because this is one thing that I remember. I, I saw them in 1997, maybe. And they were absolutely thunderous. They really, really were kind of really, really heavy kick drums, really, really sort of techno, um, really, really danceable. And this is kind of in that lineage, I think. Let's take a listen to uh, Prince Thomas's remix. And your final selection for today is? It's a group about which I know not a ton. They're called Tangents. Uh, They are from Australia. They're from Sydney. Uh, It's a quintet that was described to me as comparable to Tortoise and the Necks. And that turned out to be kind of right. Um, I actually hear a little bit of Jan Jelinek in there, which is interesting because one of the members was in Triosk, who collaborated with Jan Jelinek uh, a few years ago. Um, and yeah, they're, they're hard to describe, but they're, they're jazzy, they're electronic, they're a little bit post-rock, um, the instruments they use, there's guitar, there's piano, Rhodes, vibraphone, marimba, there's a cellist in there, uh, there's an improvising drummer, there's a, a guitarist, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's very kind of free-flowing, meditative, um, very melodic, but not, um, or it's easy to listen to. It's not like free improv. It's not free jazz. It's like there are motifs. um, You can kind of lock into a very hypnotic groove, but at the same time, there aren't, um, you're not going to like walk down the street singing the melodies or anything like that. Um, Fortet remixed one of the tunes, which was kind of how they, I think this is the group's third album, but I don't think they've they've gotten a lot of notoriety before this. They Fortet remixed one of the songs, and I liked it. It it was nice. It sounded like Fortet, but I really like their album. Um, I think it's just uh, yeah, it's 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 quite special. It's, it sounds unlike anything else that I know of right now. See, I was very interested to hear that Fortet remixed them because for me they sound like Fridge. Which is Fortet's That's old interesting. group? Yeah, they they really reminded me. I mean, Fridge obviously um, were you know sounded a bit like Tortoise in the, the, themselves, but there's a real Fridge were quite sort of post rocky. They had a dubby edge to them. They're very melodic at the same time. Um, and I I listened to I, I listened to the band before listening to the Fortet remix. And it just made a lot of sense. Like, yeah, I can see why you're remixing them. I'd really forgotten about Fridge. Um, I used to have a bunch of their records, and I haven't listened to them in a long time. They've kind of been overshadowed by by Forte, but they were great. They were really um, a really good band. I guess they were signed to Output, right? And so, I mean, is their material even available anymore? Very good question. I would uh, assume so. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure because output went out of business. I don't know. They might be one of those one of those acts that was kind of lost um, to the dustbin of streaming services. I think they signed to Go Beat um, in the UK at least, um, which was like a sort of semi major label. So I I would assume they still exist. We'll have to check that. But uh, but anyway, yeah. So tangents. I, I I've been listening to it a ton. I'm really into it. Um, we'll listen to a little bit of a track called Oberon right now. Thank you. 
and uh, to finish, um, we had, you know I love uh, listener requests, right? <laughs> There's nothing I like more. <laughs> nothing that makes me happier on, on a summer's day. And we got a listener request um, from Jack Tarpey. And uh, he, he said, uh, are there any songs of your many combined years of partying which have stuck with you for their goosebump-inducing effect on the dance floor? And that really got me thinking. Um, but uh, how about you? What sticks out in your mind? You know, you asked me this earlier, and my <laughs> my first thought was this kind of like pit in the in in my stomach, thinking, "My God, it's been so long since I've been <laughs> out dancing. What what was that feeling even like?" Um, I, I have a hard time coming up with songs that I, I've kind of come back to over and over across the years, in part because my my clubbing history has been so sort of checkered. It's not like I was hearing the same tracks out all the time. Right. Um, but I, w- I was thinking about things that certainly as a DJ that always really do it for me in that kind of goosebump inducing right. emotional way. And the several of the songs that occurred to me were, were by DJ Kotze and Axel Bowman. The first thing that came to mind was DJ Kotze's Cecily, right. which is a track I've been just crazy about since it came out. I think it's, I want to say 2007, 2006 um, on Phil Pot. And I remember a, a party, some friends and I rented a, a house uh, at the beach in, on the Oregon coast and we stayed up all night and we DJed and I, I remember that getting played. And then I drove home um, the, the morning out. I've written about this, but I drove home the next day in my rental car and it rained and I had that CD in my car and I listened to it just on like infinite loop. I don't know how many times I listened to that one song over and over and over because it just kind of brought back the feeling of the night before, um, in a euphoric yet melancholic way. And that's, that's kind of my vibe, you know, euphoric yet melancholic. I agree 100%. That, for me, is a goosebumpy moment, if it's euphoric yet melancholic. Um, and that is kind of what really struck me in one of the songs that came to me, which was Inner City's Good Life. I know it's not exactly an obscure example there, but for me, that is almost the epitome of something that's euphoric but, but melancholic, because it's talking, about a, it's talking about a good life, but it sounds like a good life that's never going to come, you know? It's like, let me take you to a place I know you want to be, but it, it sounds like you're not there. You know, you want to be there. And it's just kind of always out of reach. And the chords are weirdly melancholic. The whole thing is quite melancholic. And I think that, for me, is just sort of incredibly goosebumpy. You know, that that combination of just almost... Keeps you on the edge of your seat, right? You're just, like, reaching for it. Yeah, and I think it's the perfect combination. I mean, lyrics and dance music, I don't listen to them that much. And these aren't massively profound but actually what they're saying is is it's quite a sort of strong message it quite resonates you know who doesn't want to be in the good life you know but it just sounds like you can't quite get there you know maybe that's just me (laughs) (laughs) um well let's let's dedicate this show to the good life i guess absolutely yeah so thank you all for listening. I'm sorry we've been away uh, for so long. We'll, tr- we'll try not to be away for uh, 
so long again. Um, obviously, uh, follow us on Twitter, listen, uh, rate us on iTunes. Why not? Send us an email, lionlosepodcast at gmail.com, and we will be back soon. Check us again soon. Bye. I know you wanna go, it's a good life